Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bracket U, the podcast of Delphi Bracketology. The NCAA basketball season started this Tuesday, November 5th, and along with a lot of college basketball fans, those of us at Delphi Bracketology are fired up about watching college basketball and trying to make sense of every piece of news and every score result that we get. And the real truth of the matter is, is that no one knows for sure. And results in the first three or four days are nothing but uh, the initial results. And with a whole body of work that is used for the selection committee, the bracketologist work uh, hasn't even really taken hold quite yet. But everyone's so anxious that we will talk <clears throat> a little bit of bracketology. We have our high school students who are covering the NFL. The Gleasonator will end up uh, at the back end of this podcast, as well as our two juniors who do some NFL previews. So if you want to get a high school perspective uh, on the NFL, stick around after I'm done. Uh, we do appreciate you listening to, um, to what our high school kids are, are doing as well. So in the world of NCAA basketball, everyone was excited about November 5th. A lot of teams starting up against lesser competition, but the best games of the night were the champion Champions Classic games in New York City, where Duke defeated Kansas 68-66, to and Kentucky was victorious over Michigan State. I believe the score was 69-62. to Didn't write that down in my notes. Here's what the takeaway is from a bracketology perspective. Those are big wins. We assume those four schools will be in uh, solely by uh, their team makeup, and they're going to be on top of their conferences. So a loss does not mean anything, but a victory does mean something, and quality wins do matter. Uh, it helps in the rankings as the net will be put out uh, close to uh, after Thanksgiving and will be used throughout the season, and especially in February and March, to make the selections. Big wins matter, and Duke and Kentucky took the first step. It's always tough to play a quality opponent in the first game of the season, but Kentucky and Duke do get notches on their resume. So what we're doing here at Delphi Bracketology is we're keeping track of big wins and bad losses. I, I, we know that that is collected at, at all of the great sites that we use by numbers. You know, what what is the record versus Tier 1 and Tier 2 um, or quad one and quad two, we see that in number. But what we're trying to do is, is, is as the season goes on, on a spreadsheet, really keep track of the, the good wins and the bad losses that could really enhance a resume or could really, you know, deter a, a resume. And just good wins are probably not going to be kept track other than the numbers from like warrennolan.com and, and Ken Palm. We'll, we'll let just the, the regular old games, but we're going to really look at the top games and the bottom games. So Kentucky and Duke on our spreadsheet ha have a win. Uh, we highlight those in green, the big wins in green, and we um, put the the bad losses in yellow. And just the, the criteria seemed to change just a little bit with the new net last year, and the committee seemed to really look uh, for overall record and some mid-majors. Uh, more so than they have in the past. So our record keeping is meant uh, to maybe um, do a little better job this year. We had we had 67 and 68 last year, and our seeding was off. So we're really trying to get a handle as the season goes on of, of who's winning uh, really big games and who's looking 
Uh, good. Uh, we a couple teams. St. Mary's did a really a good job of getting the season off to a start by winning on a neutral court at Wisconsin. A St. Mary's has always had difficulty in their schedule. They've had outstanding records in the past, but that's always been somewhat of a weak strength of schedule. And then their non-conference record, um, while it has been good, has not been against strong opponents. They've started scheduling tougher, playing Wisconsin on the road at a neutral site and coming out victorious is something that is going to stick with St. Mary's regardless of what Wisconsin does in the year. We believe Wisconsin will be in the mix for a tournament team in the Big Ten. Uh, if if they fall outside of that, if they're on the bubble towards the end, it's still a quality Power 5 win on a neutral. And, and as everyone knows who listens probably and those if you don't know, Winning on the road is important no matter who you play. Winning at neutral, regardless of who you play. But when you can beat a Power 5 and a Power 5 team that is predicted to be, to have a chance to make the NCAA tournament on the road, St. Mary's really got their season off to a, a great start. We thought Louisville played really well, was dominant. As the ACC started conference play early, probably because the ACC network was kicking off. They wanted some marquee matchups right away to throw on their new network. But Louisville was on the road against Miami. Miami's a team that could have a chance maybe to make the tournament down the road. A difficult opening task, and Louisville dominated that game from the start. Um, Louisville, the preseason hype, uh, looks good early on. And with most of these games, you look for things that will carry over as the season goes on. How do they play more so than the results? And until early December, early January, when the metrics really start balancing out, uh, can we really tell statistically and uh, rank these in one through 68? But you're looking for teams and how they play. And Louisville was the team that we here at Delphi Bracketology really thought played uh, outstanding uh, early on. You can add to that Virginia on the road in the ACC, another matchup beating um, Syracuse and holding Syracuse to 34 points. Again, the eye test is not something that's supposed to be used, but it but it is in the back of the minds of the committee, and, and these teams got off to a great start. Another team that won a good opening matchup was Ohio State defeating Cincinnati. Uh, we're not sure what Cincinnati's going to do with um, their new coach and, and having Mick Cronin leave to go to UCLA. But again, Ohio State beating an American Conference team in the opener is a good sign for the Ohio State Buckeyes. And the Buckeyes are predicted to be in the top three or four of the Big Ten. They got their season off to a good start. Inside of the ACC Conference, Pitt beating Florida State is a little bit of a surprise. Uh, Florida State was favored on the road. Pitt is one of those teams that is in the bottom of the ACC with an outside chance of maybe getting into the top half of the ACC. And what a great start for their program. So what it tells us here at Bracketology is not that that win is going to put Pitt into a bracket. It, it, we really can't talk about brackets even when we do and, and make some changes or make some preseason brackets or some adjustments, they're really not valid. Any, any of our stuff's not valid until mid-December and maybe even mid-January. But Pitt now goes on to our radar as a team to watch. When they beat a quality team like Florida State, and initially 
we kind of had them at the bottom of the ACC. We're going to keep our eye on Pitt's results because that's one of those teams that might have been predicted at the bottom of a league that could creep up into the bubble conversation. So, you know, Kentucky, Duke, Louisville, St. Mary's, Virginia. Um, Virginia Tech had a nice win on the road. I, again, a lot of people think in Virginia Tech, losing their coach, going to be at the bottom of the ACC, winning on the road at Clemson. Uh, Clemson's also um, thought of to be one of the weaker ACC teams. So, again, Virginia Tech and Pitt, they're not moving the needle after one game, and no one really moves the needle after one game. But they are a little bit more um, – on the radar for us to just keep an eye on teams on the other end that teams that we and other preseason uh, predictions had a little bit higher thoughts on that struggled off the start um, North Carolina State losing to Georgia Tech um, Illinois struggling to win uh, opener in overtime when they were getting a lot of preseason hype Alabama losing 81 to 80 to Penn um, those teams Florida State losing on the road when favored. Those teams still heavy consideration to be in the tournament and will probably have really good seasons and likely to, to, to make our final list at some point or at least be in consideration. But they're now on the radar as teams like to watch to see if they can get a big win in the next two or three weeks. Do they continue to struggle? Were they overrated? Uh, and again, it's all about getting a, a good group of maybe 80 teams in February to keep your eye on for those 68 team slots. So uh, those are some teams that kind of had a rough start and, and doesn't mean a whole lot, uh, but it is something worth watching. A couple of players that, that we at Delphi Bracketology really enjoy um Watching Tyrese Maxey for Kentucky, Cole Anthony for North Carolina, they're going to be uh, extremely fun to watch. And, and one thing that, that we're doing with Bracketology is we do think there's an emphasis on mid-majors from last year's committee, and we wonder if that's going. So we're tracking the mid-majors a lot more. And one game that stood out for us was Illinois State defeating Belmont. Uh, Belmont got in the uh, final um the first four last year as an at-large selection. And uh, Illinois State in the Missouri Valley, uh, a win like that can elevate that conference. And I, we still think that, you know, the Missouri Valley is only going to have the, the winner of the tournament get in. But that's the kind of win that you get a mid-major to win, uh, defeat other mid-majors that are strong. And if that mid-major goes on to have a nice power five win somewhere in the non-conference or make a, a run in a dominant run inside their conference, I think that's going to get the eyes of the committee similar to what Belmont did last year, um, Murray State, those kinds of things. So we have a list of about 10 to 20 mid-majors on our spreadsheet that we are really tracking to see what their overall wins are and, and do they pull off uh, some, some good wins for them that might sway? And if a mid-major has a 25-6 and six record, has a win or two against a solid opponent, uh, knowing the difficulty that they have of scheduling, we're, we're going to really see where they fall on the net and where they compare to some of these Power 5 conference schools because 
We think that the committee in choosing Belmont last year, and not only in choosing teams, but in seeding teams, we thought VCU as an eight seed was a little higher than we had them last year. And so the committee values those smaller conferences and, and what they do uh, throughout the season. So we're trying to get a jump on the, the process here in November and December by identifying teams to watch, not just relying on the data that comes out on the net and moving teams up and down uh, the seed list, one through 68, based on, on, on those metrics. And so moving a little bit more at Delphi Bracketology to just a data analysis uh, of the wins and losses and home wins and Ken Palm and those types of things. Uh, we think that the committee has moved and the job of a good bracketologist is not just to look at the criteria and look at the data, but also try to get inside the heads of the committee and the mindset of the committee. And, and that uh, I think we were very poor at last year. And so we've implemented some new uh, new techniques. But college basketball is back. And as, as the weekend goes on uh, and next week, we'll report out again on some key bracket wins and some key bracket losses. We'll try to avoid seed talk and who's in and who's not in because that's just impossible. But we do encourage our fans to watch for bracket uh, games, those games that can be influential for the team that wins uh, and a lost opportunity for those teams that, that lose. November and December are full of them. Around Thanksgiving come all of the major non-conference tournaments. Those are always fun to watch. To, to see teams play back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back quality opponents. And then as, as the season, as the year changes, you really get an idea who had a strong non-conference, who had an average strong conference, who had a poor strong conference, and what might happen in conference play. And it starts to develop there in mid-December to late December, at least teams and orders to, to look at. So we're all hungry. Uh, for for basketball talk we're all hungry for podcasts and bracket talk but take it for what it's worth don't overreact to anything negative or positive uh, it's going to be a, a long season uh, of bracket work if you're interested in our work it's at you can find our articles at www.delphibracketology.com we are uh, trying to expand our coverage and our explanations of our work we have six or seven conference previews just lists of teams that we think should be in, could be in for you to look at. We do have access to Purdue University basketball uh, this weekend. We're going to look, look at Purdue at Texas, and we, we will talk about Purdue, but we'll also talk about Texas, our evaluation of Texas, and if they have the opportunity to maybe make a run to the NCAA tournament after missing for a few years. We'll cover that. We're going to cover teams of the week, upsets of the week. We're going to cover conferences. We're going to update the bracket on a, on a monthly basis until December probably, and then every week with a new bracket generator that our friends from Indiana HQ have helped us with. We're going to place the podcast on. That's www.delphibracketology.com for all of that information. We will give daily and weekly updates uh, on our Twitter account, that handle is at Delphi Brackets. Please interact with us, follow us, share that handle with other college basketball fans as the season starts up. When we're covering games, we'll try to uh, comment on those games. And we're really here to help share with our listeners and our followers how we make our predictions. We have 10 great high school kids, four faculty members, and we're anxious to really get moving on 
this year's NCAA analysis. So thank you for tuning in to Bracket U. Stay with us right now for the Gleasonator, our middle school reporter on who's hot and who's not in the NFL, followed by uh, some NFL previews of some key games this Sunday. We appreciate every one of you uh, following us. And until next week, I'm Brian Tonsoni. Here is the Gleasonator. Hello, football fans, and this is the Gleasonator coming at you loud and clear, ready to update you on the hot and not NFL Week 9. And then there was one down, go the Patriots. Leaving only the San Francisco 49ers as a lone remaining unbeaten team in the NFL. As they watched from home on their bye week, that's right folks, the Ravens fans. And to be honest, a large majority of football fans across the nation rejoiced in the late hours Sunday evening as powerful Baltimore Ravens offense and their talented young quarterback Lamar Jackson's overpowered the Patriots defense, beating them 37-20. to 20. Jackson threw for 163 yards with one touchdown and ran for another 61 yards with two touchdowns. He led a balanced passing attack hitting, attack, hitting seven different receivers on the day. The Ravens were led on the ground by running back Mark Ingram, who had 15 carries for 115 yards. Baltimore will take on the still winless 0-8 Cincinnati Bengals next week. We're coming off their bye week. New England will head into the bye week after a loss looking for answers with several other hot teams on the bye week. The only other hot team mentioned today is Miami Dolphins. That's right, folks. The floundering fish from Miami beat the New York Jets 26-18. to The Dolphins dumped Gatorade on their coach, blasted celebration by Cool and the gang, and acted like they just won the Super Bowl as they finally won their first season game. QB Ryan Fitzpatrick threw for 288 yards and three touchdowns to lead to the Dolphins attacking, hitting Preston Williams for two, Devontae Parker for one. It was a happy day in Miami, and they will take their show on the road to Indy next week to play the Colts. With Bengals on the bye week, the not-so-hotless this week consists of previously mentioned 1-7 New York Jets, the 1-8 Washington Redskins, and the 1-7 Atlanta Falcons. The first Reds, the first, first, the Redskins lost in Buffalo to the Bills 24-9, totaling only 243 yards of offense. Running back Adrian Peterson was the lone bright spot 
with 18 carries for 108 yards, while QB Dwayne Haskins for 144 yards. Their best offensive player of the day was their punter, who had five punts for 172 yards. The Skins held back their home to the na nation's capital, hoping to share some of the Nationals' good World Series. Fortunate as they take on some also terrible New York Jets. Finally, the Atlanta Falcons, who trailed 24-0 to at the half to the Seattle Seahawks, rallied in the second half only to fall short again, losing 27-20. to Falcons played for the first time in the last 10 years. That's 154 games without QB Matt Ryan. And had many mistakes, including two missed field goals by Matt Bryant and across the goal line and losing effort. Quarterback Matt Shrub threw receiver Julio Jones, Julio Jones, for 10 catches and 152 yards. Atlanta heads to New Orleans next week to take on the Soaring Saints, who are 7-1 through the week. And have great Drew Brees back running the show. Could be another tough week for the Falcons. That's all for week nine, folks. This is the Gleasoner signing off until next week. We when we will find out how the perfect season nineteen seventy two Miami Dolphins will be able to pop the tops on their champagne or if they'll have to keep it on ice for another week. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Games of the Week. I'm Evan Fritz and I'm here with Cole Spangler. And we're going to jump straight into the games. First, we're going to start it off with the 1 o'clock game on Sunday, the Bills versus the Browns. Uh, this week, I'm going to probably go with the Bills in this game. Um, the Bills are coming off some great wins, even though it's a loss last week to the Eagles, but they are playing great throughout the season. They're, I think they're 5-3, and three, and their only loss coming to the Patriots and the Eagles. Yeah. Uh, I think the Browns are struggling right now, and they lost to the uh, Broncos last week, which is a very tough loss for them, as the Broncos started back a quarterback, and he threw the ball downfield against them. Um, I think the Bills' will, defense will cover up the Browns' uh, star wide receivers and lock down Baker Mayfield as a passer. What about you? Uh, personally, I think the Browns are probably going to come away with this victory for a couple reasons. Um, Baker Mayfield getting into this offense throughout the season. Um, Odell Beckham and him have had a uh, an interesting connection. 
Um, it's been kind of uh, untrusted, if you will. Uh, Baker Mayfield has had a hard time just throwing the ball up and letting uh, Odell Beckham try to come down with the ball. Um, he's been going for more of the under, underneath routes and not um, allowing Odell Beckham to go one-on-one with uh, corners in the NFL. So, I mean, I feel like if Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield are allowed that connection this week, I think they beat the Bills, and the Bills are going to start their decline for the rest of the season, in my personal opinion. Uh, they've had wins up to this season, up to this point of the season, which they found ways to win, but they got exposed last week and by the Patriots. Um, so I feel that unless Josh Allen plays out of his mind, as he's played pretty well through the first part of the season, then I feel like the Browns might have a way to put this together, especially with Nick Chubb pounding the ball down the throat. Uh, so, yeah, I have the uh, Browns in this game. But moving on, we're going to skip to the 425 game where we have the Panthers versus the Packers. This will be an interesting matchup. Uh, Battle of the Titans in the NFC. We have the Panthers who are working their whole offense based off of Christian McCaffrey and a strong MVP candidacy. Uh, the Packers are based on their whole thing off of Aaron Rodgers and how he's been playing. Um, I think the Packers will come away with this win. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to get back to his midseason form as last week he slumped off versus the Chargers. But the Panthers, I don't think they're going to be able to keep up with the Detroit Packers due to the fact they don't have a quarterback that can build the ball very well. Uh, Kyle Allen definitely is a decent quarterback, but I don't think he's going to be able to keep up with Aaron Rodgers and his amazing pass game, plus Aaron Jones running, uh, running the ball and catching the ball out of the backfield. And what do you think? Yeah, I have to agree. Uh, the Panthers have played well this so far this season. Uh, Kyle Allen's uh, filled in for Cam Newton pretty well, and it'll be actually interesting to see when Cam Newton comes back if he will start over Kyle Allen with, after the success. Uh, the Panthers have stumbled a little bit, but uh, they're on the back of Christian McCaffrey, as we all know. And eventually that's going to give out, as it has in the past. So uh, after last week, I see the Packers coming with a bounce-back victory here, uh, getting Aaron Jones, Jamal Adams a little bit more involved. Especially Devontae Adams, he's coming back. Uh, they said he was going to take about 36 snaps last week. That ha- ended up being the case. Um, so they're going to work him more and more into the into the offensive game plan. Uh, you got you got to use him. He's back. Also, I'm looking for like the heavier sets with uh, the Packers with more tight ends, two, three tight ends, to run the ball, especially with Jamal Adams. Well, they kind of got away from that last week, and they kind of got it used against them as well in that game with the Chargers. The Chargers pounded it down their throat, uh, Chargers offensive high for rushing yards last season or last uh, week. So, yeah, I see the uh, Packers defense holding uh, Christian McCaffrey to a minimal this week and them coming back with a bounce-back victory. And now we're going to move on to the nightcap with the Vikings versus the Cowboys. Uh, this, this game, I'm going to take the Vikings. I know it's a very, it's an upset, as people will say. But the Vikings, I, I like their offense. Uh, Dalvin Cook is probably going to be able to run the ball down this uh, Cowboys defense. Uh, we can't, we saw this week as the Cowboys did struggle a little bit against the Giants in the Monday Night Football game. Um, I think the, somehow the Cowboys are going to blow this win with Dak throwing a couple picks probably. But I think the Vikings offense um, continue to be good, even without Adam Thielen again this week. I think Stephon Diggs will step up and make some plays, and Dalvin Cook will also continue to run the ball. Amazing, as he's had a great season, uh, second place in rushing yards in the NFL. Uh, I think the Vikings will win this game, and Kirk Cousins will show why he is a good quarterback. Evan, how about you? Uh, I just have to disagree with that one a little bit. Uh, with the lack of Adam Thielen we saw in last week's game, they just weren't able to muster enough to beat the Chiefs, who had Matt Moore as their backup quarterback. It's always hard to lose to a backup quarterback, but uh, the Vikings, without uh, Adam Thielen, lack the play-action game and lack the ability to run the ball, surprisingly, in certain cases with Dalvin Cooks and use Dalvin Cooks in the passing game as well. 
Uh, without Adam Thielen, of course, you're allowed to use a cornerback or a safety on the running back and not necessarily a linebacker. So a double cook is kind of neutralized out of the backfield. And you know the Cowboys have that great uh, linebacking core. So I find that the Cowboys, after a, like a quick score or so, will end up stopping the Vikings and being able to pound the ball with Ezekiel Elliott, who we know is one of the best ground-and-pound running backs in the league. Uh, the Vikings, they've been a kind of a wishy-washy team, but Kirk Cousins, as of late, has been playing better. And um, hopefully he's able to play well in this game and keep it really close. Uh, him and Dak Prescott have both been kind of wishy-washy, if you will. But uh, I hope both of them play well in this game and it comes down to the wire. However, I do find the Cowboys winning this game with their good linebacking core and the ability to run the ball on the ground. All right, back to you, Tom Sonny. Thank you guys for that NFL report. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. And we'll see you next week on Bracket U.